This is The Crucible. The JRTC Experience. This is, if I would have only known, a candid conversation with leaders. In this series, we discuss brigade combat team warfighting skills and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large-scale combat operations at JRTC. Hi, I'm Colonel Matt Hardman, the Commander of Operations Group at the Joint Readiness Training Center here at Fort Polk, Louisiana, and joined with leaders from 2nd Brigade, 4th Infantry Division. Would you introduce yourselves, please? So, Colonel Andy Kaiser, commander of a second SBCT 4ID, the Mountain Warrior Brigade. Um, so, I'm born and raised in Pennsylvania, but uh, Army career. I uh, started my platoon leader time at Fort Bragg, and then I've traversed over the last 20 plus years from airborne infantry, light infantry, mechanized with tanks, brads, to advising, and then back to striker. So, all the different kind of formations. Sergeant Major Mike Ironman, I am the Brigade CSM of the 2nd Striker Brigade Combat Team of the 4th Infantry Division. Spent my first 15 years in the Army in lovely Savannah, Georgia at 1st Ranger Battalion. Followed that up with being the Selection and Training Company first Sergeant for the Ranger Regiment. Was lucky enough to be a part of 287 up in lovely 10th Mountain Division as a CSM. Back to the Ranger Regiment and now here, sir. And the, and the Catamounts are going to get the opportunity to come down here uh, this month. That's what I see. Hopefully, I'll run into them. Right. I'm sure I'll you will. Maybe run into Colonel Wentz. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, gr great crew and uh, had an amazing rotation, a ton of fun. First uh, full striker brigade rotation uh, down here at JRTC in a long time. Uh, and so, this rotation, we had an armor company from 1st Armor Division, we had a Paladin battery out of 1st Armored Division. We had the DSSB 142nd out of 1st uh, Armored Division. 83rd Chemical Battalion. Uh, Mighty Van Dues out of the yep. Canadian Army here. Uh, 8,000 people, 1,600 vehicles. About as much fun as you can shove into the Ford and <laughs> Box in the month of January. Um, so up front, uh, Yelp review on uh, the Ford and Box. How many stars? Yeah, probably for uh, living conditions, a one out of one. For like war fighting, a five out of five, I would say. I would say a two out of five, sir, but if, that was mainly because you uh, planned on some pretty poor weather. Yeah, yeah that's where there. I gave the one. Cod given, <laughs> right? So and the we, cod take it away. Yeah, so we, we were fortunate. We had some, we had some really awesome weather uh, here this rotation, uh, but, but we fought through uh, really the friction of that weather mm -hmm. and the terrain. And even the Canadians uh, were appreciative of the rain, of the rain uh, that we were able to provide. So it was a good experience, definitely able uh, to fight strikers uh, in complex terrain uh, here. So, um, you know, what were your impressions of the rotation? You guys, uh, you, you were able, uh, in, in the position you're in, uh, fight the brigade at the National Training Center a little over a year ago. Yep. Um, tell, me, tell me about uh, the experience here, your road to yep. war. Um, so what we did, f difference between CTCTC is obviously the terrain, and then I think the dismounted fight is drastically different than it was at NTC. Uh, NTC, longer engagements, we can maneuver, close with, destroy the enemy. We're in a broom closet with Geronimo, essentially. <laughs> it's taking some words out of the cog's mouth all rotation. 
you're engaged right off the get-go and you don't have a whole lot of maneuver space like to get open and get running with the train, the road network, and then weather with mud and stuff. So um, we, we knew that coming in, so we spent a lot of time on our Battle Drill 6, React to Contact, and reiterative live fires at both squad, platoon, and company level to, to get ready for this fight. Uh, we actually put a lot of emphasis on trend, clearing and entering trenches, which I think paid off in our live fires. But yeah. we put a primacy on uh, the infantry squad is the tip of spear, and that is our fighting platform, not the striker. The striker is more of a delivery platform we can bring up and utilize, or I like to say I consider it my mules that carries the load so that our light infantrymen can be faster than a typically or a typical light infantry force has to carry their rucksacks with them. So... Um, but going forward, the difference with the CTCs, this is a much faster pace because you're constantly up with the enemy face to face. And I think it's more realistic for a LISCO fight where you're fighting 24 seven across your front and you've got to bring those war fighting functions to bear. And then you've got to be planning an iteration several days at a time to get in front, even though the company commander is stuck in a knife fight. So it, it does stress more so in my opinion than our last fight in echelon all the way back from the squad all the way back to the BSB was in a constant turmoil of, of getting things in condition set. Yeah, we have a positive mindset here, so we get to fight every <laughs> single day. <laughs> and we did. I mean, and that Absolutely. was certainly the case here. I mean, yep. it's a pretty relentless tempo for the team. And, and absolutely, uh, you know, this team really uh, – pretty dynamic in, in what y'all did and, and tried to do to Geronimo and had some successes and had some some tough fights in other places. And we can talk a little bit more about that. Sergeant Major, from your perspective, like wh what did you expect? What'd you get? I I see more of the things that we failed to do to prepare. You know, like, yeah, for that's example. That's why I heart you. <laughs> I look at the terrain, the environment, way different than Colorado Springs, way different than being in the high desert at the base of the Rockies. Um, you know, we tried to figure out the blocking and tackling that will work in both environments, but yep. at the same time, we should have tried to layer, okay, you know, for example, living conditions, right? You're out there in Colorado Springs, um, weather is relatively dry, sometimes gets windy. All you have to do when you get cold outside is pull your sleeping bag out, you're done. Don't have to change your socks, don't have to change your boots, don't have to change your t-shirts. You know, being in a much wetter environment, I, I wish we had better prepared our soldiers for the for the environmental conditions that were up here. Um, can't use pyro at Colorado Springs. All of a sudden we're given, just as one small example, tools that we did not have during our training cycle. Wish I looked back on that and realized, okay, these are the tools we're gonna have available here in JRTC that we're not necessarily going to have at Colorado Springs. Why did we not still teach people how to use yeah. them instead of just, hey, let's forget about this because we just didn't have the opportunity. We should have taken some time to look at those tools. But most of all, what I'm most proud of is like, I think we taught our people to have the will to fight. Oh, and absolutely. <laughs> from start to finish, when we were in the box, getting me, making contact with the enemy on D minus three, through the live fire, while it may not be the prettiest of events, our people were still fighting through friction. You didn't see people feeling sorry for themselves. You know, out at five corners yesterday. Yeah. You guys are like really happy, excited in the middle of the rain when it's 30 degrees outside, telling each other war stories and uh, already looking through the previous two weeks through rosy su colored sunglasses. Yeah, no, for sure. And, I, and uh, you know, we uh, I'm something of a Louisiana weather connoisseur. And uh, <laughs> we, we gave you we you guys got some pretty rough weather here. You know, there was a 
about a 15 hour period of, uh, I think we got two to three inches of rain, mm -hmm. uh, 35 degrees. And, uh, you know, folks came right out of it, right back into the fight, uh, right back into the offense, which was pretty cool to see. I'm hundred percent with you. And, you know, it's like kind of one of the things I always keep seeing here. And you saw it, I think in this rotation is, you know, our, our soldiers are going to respond to the leadership that we give yep. them. And in this formation, you saw the leadership leading people through friction and hardship. Uh, which was really cool to watch. Totally. So. Yeah, he said it. Um, he's been talking quite a bit. It felt like in the middle of the rotation, right? They're trying to break our will. <laughs> Wait, that's, it literally <laughs> felt like you were trying to break our will. And I refused. <laughs> and uh, the enemy. I mean, like realistically, the enemy's going to do that, right? Like that's right. what they're trying to do to us because we outmatch them on so many things. Um, it like. The, you know, the amount of enemy contact you're facing, size of the formation, the weather impacts, like, uh, and that's what we're really most proud of coming out. They didn't, the wheel didn't break. We just kept going, like, yeah. and kept grinding away at them. So, like, really proud of the formation doing that. But, like, I think that's something that be, we forget about in CTCs because we, you know, we do battle periods and we reset. There's really no, but I, I think that's why, like, out of the 30 that I've been involved in, this was the closest to combat because it felt like there was some actual psychological effect of the rotation of trying to break will and you had to get through that mental toughness piece besides just your war fighting skills. besides combat i had my emotionally lowest point in the united <laughs> states army here about six days ago well i you know i mean i hate to say this i really i do appreciate that because i mean ultimately uh, that's what we want. Like we want to yep. give people their worst day yep. possible here. Uh, you know, and, and, and we, we want to get what we got, which is that, you know, units, uh, fight through that, impose their will on their own formations, impose their will on the enemy to accomplish a mission. And I think, you know, your team absolutely did that. It was a ton of fun to watch. Uh, I gotta be honest. I, I think Geronimo played scared. I really do. It did not feel that way. No, sure. right? I think they did. I think they played scared the whole time. They went super hard in the paint on y'all. Yeah. And uh, and I think it was I think it was a sign of respect. I really do. I mean, not that they don't respect everybody, but I think they were pretty sketched out about, frankly, the striker formations, yeah. the mobility that you bring, the amount of firepower that just exists in a striker battalion with all the mortars that are there. Yep. The javelins. I think. I think it's. I do. I think it was a sign of respect. Like they knew if they gave you, they gave you too much space, you were going to run wild on them. Yeah. And you guys adapted. I mean, so, you know what? I mean, let's talk about that a little bit. Like, what did you, what did you adapt? Um, you know, after the first couple of days of fighting, like, what? Did, how did you adapt to to what you were seeing from? So I think it, for us, it's been a process, right? Since NTC, we fought a warfighter. You know, and it condensed similar terrain to this. Uh, the DREE we did with uh, your team was on the same kind of terrain. Yeah, distributed uh, readiness yeah. exercise. You can sign up for uh, one. They're free. Well, we can talk that later, too. <laughs> awesome. It actually prepared us a, a lot for the rotation. So that and then this, right? So we've learned that in the constrained environment, it's easy to pick out strikers. So we've got to not disaggregate, but we've got to have them back far enough that they're not a target to lose your infantry squads and they've got to be close enough to bring up. So the positioning of your strikers uh, becomes very important once you don't become a TRP, but then you can also use them when yeah. you need to and bring up your sustainment. So, yeah, I mean, with that, I look at strikers, I mean, they're like more like Blackhawks than they are like Bradleys. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, that's a 
Yeah. Two, two terrain features back. <laughs> yeah. It's a school bus. Yeah. And once you eliminate that AT threat, then you've got the ability to come up, resustain yourself, but right. they're not leading into the... Yeah. yeah. And I know one of the constant AAR comments are you're not integrating your strikers properly. I mean, we trained on it yeah. in a different environment. You didn't hear that from me. I know. Yeah. We trained on it in a different environment, and it's like one of those things, the environmental conditions here yeah. didn't necessarily layer well with how we use them in Colorado Springs, and we were trying to figure it out. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, time. you know, and, and I know, you know, I think, one, it's it's the ability to communicate. Two, it's it's easier to sustain. You, you've yep. talked about this. It lightened the load, and that drove dismount a maneuver that, frankly, was was pretty effective. I mean, we were able to get out of the vehicles, get off the roads and move, and we weren't constrained by heavy loads because the vehicles- Could always come up later. Could on. always come up yeah. later with those loads. Well, even in like the environment we're in this rotation, right, with the constant rain, uh, more so than a light brigade. We have it, really it was, come on, it wasn't constant. No, it was I mean, a lot. But you can move, <laughs> so you can move under load, and then yeah. honestly, we can resupply, get warm and dry out in the yeah. vehicle, then get back into the fights. So we have the ability to kind of recondition the soldiers repetitively. Because our guys just need 100 ounces of water two MREs, and then their combat load. It's yeah. not like they have to carry all their survivability yeah. stuff. It's the, and you don't, don't have, need to, to, you don't have to go back to the ORP to grab load. your stuff. Yeah. Once you back clear the obstacles, like, oh my gosh, immediate delivery. Yeah. There's my warm food. It's a little bit unique for us. What about with fires? How did you adjust the way as a brigade y'all fought with fires? Yeah, so this is, uh, um, you know, there's the deep fight, and we, you know, we commonly, uh, both me and the cog are on the same boat, the close deep fight, right? So I see fires at the brigade level as more I am shaping the battalions, what I say deep fight, but it's really just outside of their 120 millimeter mortar range. So I've got to shape and destroy maneuver forces for an unfair fight. Um, there is some futility in, in targeting some of their fires, but if I'm looking for IADs and, and putting all my UAS against that and reconnaissance efforts, one, I, you know, semi-successful at finding that or probably very limited at the brigade level. But if I'm shaping the maneuver fight, then I'm actually um, creating an unfair fight for those battalions by attriting maneuver forces. and I'm actually seizing the train that I was tasked to do. Um, yeah. A lot of times we're hunting so deep, we actually don't ever achieve the task we were t tasked to do as a brigade yeah. on a piece of terrain because we've, we've taken our eye off the true ball for really the sexy targets in some aspects. Yeah, I mean, we create this gap between yep. the battalions and, and, and the division in some respects, yep. right? And in this fight, you know, the division took responsibility and said, okay, this is, you know, 21st Airborne, this is what we're responsible for. We're gonna, you know, hunt for artillery and IADs and, and you focus on shaping, yep. as you said, in front of the battalions. And so at first, the first couple days of that fight, fires, yeah. high volume, but not super effective. How did we how did we change that? Well, one, I think we we started bringing it in a lot closer, yeah. um, and then we were I think we were using our reconnaissance squadron much better, like day two and three. Yeah, uh, and then we started getting a little bit more out of our rats teams. Um, Why don't you our, talk about what those were? So we did in our brigade. Is uh, I was frustrated in my last CTC with my electronic warfare and my second collection teams. Not that they're uh, bad Americans. They just. They weren't trained. They weren't trained with the squadron like to be integrated, so we didn't get a lot of results out of them. So this, for the last year, we've deliberately put effort into it. We took those two capabilities, partnered up with Ford observers from uh, our FIST teams and snipers. Our best infantry. Uh, yeah, it wasn't best, even, it was, yeah, it was it the wasn't best even like the reconnaissance. It's yeah. like, okay, we're having tryouts. Who are the best infantry? Who have the highest GT teams. scores, most physically fit? And then we put a lot of effort into training their equipment or with their equipment and their physical fitness and load and be able to move. So. 
we've basically created deep reconnaissance for a brigade. And I say deep, they're able to get out 10K out in front of the brigade flot, use those assets and collect and almost provide an early warning for the squadron so they can get in better position, but it also with a direct line to the UAS platoon and the brigade targeting desk inside the brigade main, we're able to actually use our fires more effectively. I think some of the issues we did have though is like there's tipping and queuing. Yep. And we were not doing that well in the beginning. We were tipping, but there wasn't a follow-up queue because what's our typical follow-up queue that we're waiting for, but like that eye in the sky that is gonna confirm, deny, or actually find the information based on a lob yep. of some sort from um, some sort of EW mechanism. And um, we just were not getting it. I think as we went along yeah. and, and that tipping. And, and just so everybody understands, it wasn't because JRTC didn't allow you no, to no. fly. Weather. Said weather. <laughs> I wasn't blaming you, sir. No, I know. Well, I mean, I'm responsible, right? Ultimately, I'm responsible for the weather as well. And then we had our own hardships, too. Yeah. With yeah. Uh, our shadow elements. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think we got also better at tipping and then like, okay, we don't have an aerial asset. So what are we queuing? Like yeah. a more robust reconnaissance effort from the cavalry squadron right. to try and close with and actually find that item so it's worth trying to and, kill. And everything that flies is awesome and Not we really. love it right until we can't fly. And that's like, uh, I think, one of those lessons, which yeah. your team turned into ground reconnaissance, you know, became the name of the game just based off the weather uh, that we had yeah, I think here. The, so we also... You know, we were going one obje one band of objectives at a time versus yeah. trying to, you know, bite off more than we could chew at once. So truly, and then staying patient when a battalion kind of got up there and had some issues, back off and prep with, like, continue the, the yeah. indirect fire until we kind of broke their will a little bit. Then go up and seize and, and then keep moving again. Well, I mean, Geronimo talked about that, too. And, I mean, in particular, the when when your team attacked Shugar Gordon, uh Period of Darkness, uh, training day eight, nine. We got, we pulled all that together. I mean, we were basing it on an NRW sequence opposed yeah. to a specific time, point time. in time. Like, I think that's kind of what the issues you had talked about in the AR yeah. that 212 was having with their fires and support of the crossing at low water crossing five is that they were doing it based on time and not on the conditions, you know, like time and space exists, but you are able to choose when the clock starts right. instead of pointing saying, okay, it starts now. And right. what we weren't doing is choosing when that clock starts, but as Shuhart Gordon, we were choosing when that clock right. starts. Yeah, and, and, that, and I think that that's a key. I mean, it's, you know, they're not, you, you know, you hear this, it sort of becomes this trope of like war conditions based. Okay. Like in time, frankly, still a thing. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, we picked when we, what the conditions that mattered, I think that, I think you defined yeah. them well, and I think they got refined at the battalion level well. And then the, the fires battalion commander, likewise, you know, internally, I think that was an area that we got better is, is he said, Hey, this is what I have to have right and set before we can go. Right. And he got a full tech rehearsal in. Um, and to your point, is when we all agreed on what those were and we said go, then we were all operating off of a time. Time. And, and that's why, that's how we were able, I think, to be really synchronized. We got uh, constructive high march from the division, 155 artillery, 120, and 60 millimeter mortar suppression, as well as obscuration with indirect fire, all synchronized with direct fire. Uh, support by fire, breach element, and assault. Like, like we're doing this back at Fort Benning or something. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, I think there's awesome. a good lesson learned. 
and I don't know why you have to learn it because we, we do it as Americans. You don't occupy your primary positions until you're ready to fight, so you're hiding off, right? Right. Um, you know, you're firing stuff at objectives or hardened points, assuming you're just racking up casualties, you know, probably wrong, right? So learned at low water crossing five, not to throw that, like that, we can top that Yelp review, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. Um, we're, we're pounding water crossing five with nobody on it. And then when you go to attack it, you're like, ah, it should be leveled. They weren't even on it. They just come out of right. the woods and occupy. So uh, with the Sugar Gordon fight, um, limited effects like early with fires, right? But as we start getting maneuver up where they've got to be in position to be repelled, then you bring in the fires again. You may have done some destruction, limited some of their fighting positions, but now you're actually starting to get some of the casualties from your fires effectively by staying patient, get the maneuver up, actually set the conditions of a treating what you want to do a trade at least, yeah. get an assessment for that before you actually commit your infantry. So we learned that at low water crossing five. Um, and the XO was really good at reminding me of, hey, remember the TTP? Yep, you're right, slow down. Let's get the fires in before we, we finally commit. And we had better effects than Sheer Gordon for it. No well, follow-up. Right. No follow-up. No, follow no I, I, and, and I thought that, um, you know, that fight, the, the southern portion coming into Sugar Gordon, you know, the other thing is we, we slowed down uh, in the south to 12 uh, to, to make sure that we stayed in line with 112, and not yep. because there was a direct fire constraint, but we didn't want to allow the enemy to fight uh, one Separately, unit at, yeah. you know, separate units at a time. And let's talk about 112's fight. What do we learn <laughs> about that, <laughs> right? Uh, what do we think about like the quality of the roads, artillery and Youngstown Road there well, in the Northern Corridor? If you're a striker brigade coming to JRTC, you need to bring your reps. Like that'd be one. Like just don't, don't Heisman the reps back at the, since we have a problem keeping reps up in striker brigades. But uh, having to fight, what, every 400 meters? Yep. Uh, a tank ditch, wire, mind obstacle, repetitively, right? Um, so one, that ba getting that battle drill down. one of the things we should have trained on coming yeah. here and we just did not foresee. Yeah. The amount of obstacles uh, that we would face. And ironically, um, yeah, should have saw that. We talked about bringing revs and bridging assets. And we're like, ah, when would you actually use revs? Like, when do we put them in place? And I'm like, ah, I, I think I want to surprise them with a rev at some point, but not tied to the tank ditches. So. I think that, I think that y'all probably ended up reducing seven significant obstacles on just artillery yeah. road. If we went back in time, as we talk about Mount Warrior Strike, you know, our, our, our last training event prior to coming here, I would have made our movement to contact a direct copy of what we faced yeah. on Youngstown. To like instead of like just walking obstacle. through the woods, there would have been some sort of linear danger area that we would have to push the strikers like uh, in line with, not across, that we would have had to constantly clear, back clear, clear, back clear clear black clear so we could have that drill we should have predicted we were getting yeah it was like max we weight max max reps for the bb well, that, that, that was like the one that was one of the things where i'm like oh my gosh how did i not know we were going to have now, to do now this? what i thought was really cool though as as hard as that fight was was that back to this patience we did get you know from, from the first couple of days, we got significantly better at the battalion level, synchronizing suppression and obscuration, yep. dismount and maneuver, and, and really clearing the far side of these through dismount and maneuver, securing the far side through dismount and maneuver before reducing obstacles. Yeah. It's just like back clear in the background. Right. Really, yeah. And it was really, it was time consuming, it was hard, but ultimately we, we preserved a lot of combat power by fighting combiners maneuver, by, yeah. by being disciplined. 
uh, with how we synchronized our, our fire um, and maneuver. Um, yeah, and I don't know why. But it took longer, right? And yeah. then, so we, we ended up slowing down 212 to, to get 112 back online. Yeah. I don't know why we didn't pick up on that in training because, like, we were going to get employed. Enemy's going to come in, get a piece of terrain. U.S. Army gets employed, and they're going to fight a delaying action to delay us and disrupt right. us as long as they can. Hey, I'm, that's like, your, that's I'm going to give away all the secrets here. This is Geronimo's game. Yeah. This is what he does. I mean, he fights a deliberate retrograde with disengagement criteria to preserve combat power and, you know, suppression, obscuration, uh, to displace obstacles that he can fall back to on the next terrain feature that he can defend from, rinse and repeat. And they're doing that at the company level, like pretty, pretty decentralized. You throw on top of that some division commander who's yelling at you to move faster. It's yeah, just like, right. Oh my gosh. The 21st Airborne Division is not the, <laughs> right? It's a little bit dysfunctional. I'm no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, yeah, no. And, and I thought the, the uh, you know, it was good. I mean, out there. So I, I got to give you, before we kind of come off this, uh, probably one of the, and you talked about this, like the fight and the will. Right. So we're talking higher level brigade operations, but the fight in the will. So I was out there um, as 112 was isolating the objective Subaru, Shugart Gordon, and um, one of the tra uh, trail companies from 112, a squad. I watched them evacuate one of their casualties on a, on a uh, litter, a kilometer in full kit running to get them to a vehicle. Point. And it was with J list with J list, <laughs> which was like super inspiring. Right. Um, you know, squad leader on the litter, folks rotating security, everybody in kit doing the thing as if it was a hundred percent real. And I think like for me, like it's just amazing to get to see that. Um, but that is the kind of action that instills confidence, trust in the people on your left and right and immediate leader. And, you know, I, I always go back to Star Major Hall's The Fundamentals of Combat and How to Train for It. And that's the determinant of success or failure in combat. Do soldiers trust those on their left or right and their immediate leader? And if they do, we're going to win. One of our ROTS teams was black on water. The OC is like, I'm going to kill you if you even take one step. And I think unbeknownst, we probably did this behind the scenes. They're the ROTS OPSO with another NCO putting the <coughs> DOS on their back of their on their backs, basically walked ten kilometers, dropped it off. The OC's like, what, are you, what the heck are you guys doing here? They just melted back into the woods. So there's a lot of yeah. stories of people not allowing themselves to be beat. Yeah. That's and that's what it takes. Yeah. And um, that's pretty awesome. So big lessons learned for you out of this. I mean, what are you gonna take away and feed back into your formations as you develop leaders? So I think one is how we train moving to contact. Mm -hmm. It's just not running into one battle BP in the woods or two BPs in the woods. Like you've got to actually train some rigor and what you'll actually and face. And transitions uh, yeah. were way too slow because of it. We took yeah. too much time. Um, training through transitions. Like we always plan for it, but I don't think we train it as well, right? Like, what, Did we stimulate um, that effectively here? Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, like the fight doesn't stop. Like there's not a... Um, we got through Shiragora, we're doing the transition. I mean, there's tank T90s and BIMs coming at you, like in the middle of the transition. So, uh, and then I have a fundamentally different look and I'd already been on this train coming at NTC on how we, we do sustainment at the brigade level to yeah. enable the battalions. Uh, that's when I'm going to go back and really look on how do we centralize the sustainment effort and getting back to the very deliberate way we used to do it about 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, 
a battalion owning as UMCP, in my opinion, is beyond their bandwidth. Like fighting companies every day and ro rotating them through and you know which one's in a, a security posture, refitting versus fighting and how you're doing that while battalions are getting ready for the next day. Uh, with the amount of casualties you'll take and probably combat power loss on the striker, I don't think they have the bandwidth to then manage a UMCP when the XO is probably the, the biggest communications link to the brigade headquarters. It's just too much. Well, we have to figure out how to centralize, but still disaggregate. Agreed, yeah. So yeah. for survivability. So well, it's a big problem. You, you know, like the UMCP is, it's sort of the same mindset as we've taken with casualty evacuation, right? Yeah. Like we have to make hard decisions at the role one when it comes to casualty evacuation yeah. with who we evacuate, who we hold, how long. And I think that that's exactly the same thing with the UMCPs. It's like, it doesn't mean we don't need battalion UMCPs. It just means we've probably got to change yeah. what we hold there and for how long. Yeah. Um, because we can't afford to have 20 vehicles at a battalion UMCP. Yeah. Like it's just unsustainable. No. What, um, so you're speaking my love language as a former mech support platoon leader in the late <laughs> 90s. Uh, you know, let's talk through what you mean by centralized. Because, like, centralized control, like, uh, might cause some of our young friends twitch. that are watching and listening to twitch. Uh, you know, the, the way some of us might have twitched when Dr. Doom showed up out in rotation. But there's, like, centralized and control, and there's lifting a burden. Yeah. And I see this more as lifting, lifting a, a burden. burden than centralizing control. This isn't something they want. Like right. we're actually taking <laughs> right. something off their shoulders <laughs> right. that they don't want. Right. So this doesn't necessarily yeah. mean like we're we're that. we're taking our hands. <laughs> hey, this is what we're telling you to do. Yeah. No. And I think that that's so. That's I think the thing that you know. And, and as we explain this and coach it and develop people, that's the thing. And and you know, listen to John Lenny from the 82nd have very similar conversations about what he thinks the division's role is with sustainment. Is like. What are the burdens that we take off brigades, battalions, companies, as we, as we really make the divisions the principal tactical formation in large-scale combat operations yeah. in accordance with the, FM, the new FM30 that came out? And so what are some examples of how you see that? Yeah, so like we'll go with the UMCP. So typically you'd have six behind the six battalions that would do it. Um, I would go to two or three. I mean, it would be terrain and fight dependent and you know how you're arrayed, but... I would lessen the number and I would pool my mechanics um, across those UMTVs to surge on true combat power. I need to get up for a capability versus it. But, you know, when you have six of them spread out, they're just going through every vehicle that comes in. Depending on what the, the main effort is for the next 48 hours, you could surge mechanics to get a particular battalion up to get a capability back. So one, it provides more flexibility to the brigade, but takes that burden of security, manning those, those mechanics, feeding those mechanics to sustain it for those that comes back on the BSB, then the BSB commander is actually fighting the sustainment fight for the brigade of when does he match, what uh, priorities are coming up based on the brigade's fight, because he's tied in more so than a company that's at the front, where a lot of, uh, based on the coin fight, we've given FMTs to companies and garrison, we think that translates to combat, but the company commander has no idea what the priorities for the battalion or brigade are the next 48 to 72, and he thinks he's number one always, and I would expect that, but. <laughs> Right. We may need to surge and change that. I mean, it may be the MEVs or the FIST Vs that come up before a, a, an infantry carrying vehicle just because of what we're about to go do in the defense or yeah. something. Um, so I think that allows us to prioritize stuff. It takes a burden of managing that off the company commander and the battalion, the battalion staff if we do that at the brigade BSB level. I think but it takes a discipline, yes. too. And I think that this is like a cultural change of, yeah. 
um, you know, in some of this, we, we talk, for example, Logstat, like the impact of multiple companies not turning in accurate Logstat, yep. right? It kind of, you know, probably, at least when we were majors, it probably didn't really matter all that much. You go back you to the fob and Logstat, yeah. right? And now it matters. Scarce resources that we have to prioritize and that frankly we have to synchronize requires you know, that we understand what we have on hand out in the formation and we understand what we need in the, in the next 12 hours. Yeah. So, I mean, you have essentially five distro platoons, right, to service four battalions. On any given 24-hour period, you should probably assume you're at least doing one, probably two emergency resupplies of class five or three based on the enemy fight, right? So that's taken two of them down. You still got to deliver on time. So by pulling that up and managing a brigade, you know, you manage a set delivery time that a first sergeant's got to meet or a battalion's got to meet, however they're going to, yeah. where their, their LRPs are, and you're coming. Like, if you don't yeah. show up, you don't you're not get getting stuff. it because there's other battalions that need to get their stuff. Right. And the DSB um, is also contributing to the problem, too, because, I mean, we're reliant on them. I mean, during this it, rotation, we're literally worse. pulling off of their trucks and putting on the company yeah. trains. We were not building, you know, that what allows you flexibility of time with the company trains is having that stock in the BSA. It's, it's got twofold. If you don't ask for it on your logs that turn in at a time, now we're spreading peanut butter across battalions so nobody gets what, what they happened? need versus just one. Because right. I'm not going to let everybody, you know, somebody fail. Uh, if you don't show up the log pack, that fuel doesn't get loaded, which means somebody's going back with a fueler. And then that means the BSB can't take on fuel from the DSSB. And, then, and right. now we're behind 24 and DSSB, hours. And this just yeah. ripples, you know, back to the DSSB. I mean, this is like sustainment. No, I know a lot of folks listening have never been a part of Division <laughs> Run, but this is like being in the trail, you know, the sustainers are like the trail unit in the Division oh, yeah. Run. I mean, it's just... Um, um, and they, they can't plan. They um, can't. Uh, and we... So, and, and they can. We put them in a position that they're not able to. Yes, they're either running right. a six-minute mile or a <laughs> yeah, five-minute exactly. mile. There's no in-between. There's it's, no in-between. Uh, I think one thing that was a lightning this rotation, because you're enabling, but the big two enabling battalions, the fires battalion and the sustained battalion. Every time we fail to plan early enough and get log stats and, and needs of enablers where you're planning for fires, it gets exponentially harder for your fires battalion and your sustained battalion to actually do adequate planning to be at the right place in time yeah, and because they're getting the need at the last minute. And as a maneuver guy, I mean, those are the two things I always complained about. Like, hey, why don't I have fires and why don't I have sustainment? Because well, we, we often plan in the maneuver bubble. Yeah. Right. Yes. And that's, I mean, the, the, you know, from, from my time as a battalion commander, as a task force senior NTC brigade commander now here, like that has been the evolution to, to what yeah. you described of like, Oh, it might be my fault that the yeah. sustainers well, and the I'm... fires people, you know, are mostly my fault. Yeah. That that they don't have what they need to enable, you know, my formation with sustainment with fires. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that our our S three major Nate Welsh, I it was like great day, American, but it was day three or four. You know, I I went out to hang out with one twelve as we were trying to push up to Darla. I'm sorry, I don't remember. I'm going to refer to stuff as the name I know them by. Yeah, not necessarily. uh, Dewang, I think is what it was called. And, you know, like, I'm gone for about six or seven hours. I come back and, like, I woke up to a new task org. (laughs) And I did not know. And he's like, and I was like, hey, like, do we think about these four things? And he just stares at me blankly. And I was like, okay. (laughs) 
it's going to be it, these secondary and tertiary effects tomorrow yeah. are going to be interesting. So, I mean, While it was necessary yeah. so that you could actually have a maneuver force, right, there were certain people who had to fight through unforecasted yeah. friction. No, I mean, in, in the, you know, that was one of the things we talked about a fair bit at the mid-row, right, is these task organization changes, you know, that it's inevitably the company that we're, we're moving from one battalion to another is inevitably the one that needs fuel, <laughs> right? That hasn't slept in two days. And they're probably the one company that doesn't turn an turn accurate log like set, but now. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, and so, I, and, you know, what I appreciated is, is the, you know, the brigade field grades definitely learned and they started to, to understand, um, you know, the actions at their level and, and really kind of the t understanding of time and friction of how, of how that uh, translates down at the company level. And it's like, okay, if we're making a decision at the brigade level now, it's probably six to eight hours before we can Absolutely. affect yeah. that. Down. At least six at to eight least. hours. Right. Um, if the weather's cooperating. Even on, like on that same vein, brigade reserve, right? We, we quickly learned. Um, it, in this kind of fight, let's go fight where you're engaged. It is not, I think, adequate to go, hey, parent battalion, you, you own their sustainment. Like in their requesting or cash these parts. I think that's, once we've pulled them out of that battalion and task org, it's beyond their capacity to sustain a company disaggregated and back in the brigade. Right. Um, so you've got to have a good SOP for who is that? Uh, we figured who's out. That, the, yeah, who's who is he reporting to regularly and who is sustaining it? And how long do they own that? In you the end, like we, I linked up the HHC Brigade XO, and that's the thing that. Yeah, you know, on the reserve, so it was awesome. Uh, the uh, the team senior that was with the reserve company, uh, Roland Paquette, he had been my reserve company commander uh, when I came through, and it was fun watching those two. Um, but, you know, the reserve company commander, how he manages the priorities of planning uh, that he's got, you know, and, and I think what your reserve company commander, two priorities of planning, different battalions. Yep. He sent one PL to one battalion, one PL to another to rehearse the routes, yep. to under, to get the maneuver graphics. Um, and then I think he and his XO split uh, the combined arms rehearsals that they went to. And so, I mean, there's a real art in that. And this is, and, you know, that's fighting a reserve uh, you know, is, is something it's different than a quick reaction force. Yeah. Uh, I thought something that y'all did really effectively, uh, and, and, you know, gave advantage to you here. Hey, I got to peel back, um, because I, two things that I hadn't seen in a long time. So the first one is Charlie company one twelve in the defense supplementary positions that they planned, they rehearsed and then executed. And so the, you know, the impact from my perspective was like Geronimo kind of didn't know what to do because you kind of yeah. did to Geronimo what he normally does to everybody else. They actually fought out of direct fire contact and created a problem in depth for the, for the enemy. And then the second was uh, the counterattack uh, at Low Water 5. And so just talk me through the counterattack at Low Water 5. Yeah, so we looked at it was um... – one, I wanted to get back on the offense yeah, as quickly so you get, as possible. To, to paint the picture for everybody, you guys were in the defense. So we're in the defense. We're putting an obstacle. So we deliberately full put an obstacle. Full up. obstacles. Like there was no like, hey, we're going to yeah. we're gonna lowball this. Half, we're gonna, that just so happens that the dozer was right behind, <laughs> ready to go. Um, so uh, 
Yeah, we put those in in full defense. Uh, part of it was we wanted to give a little bit back to Jerome they gave to us. So that's where the Char Charlie 112 did the best at, planning in depth, because uh, it's a really a math problem of how much time do you have to put enough missiles in against a mechanized force to kill it over time. The misnomer of a linear defense will just mass it all at one point, it all disappears. Yeah. Not going to work with an infantry no. formation with AT systems. So we set that up. Uh, then we had triggers based. Um, I truly did believe he would go north just because of the routes. Yeah. Um, and he did. So as I see him, came, he was coming north. He had his, that was his, uh, uh, and you had that his tide. fixing force. Yeah, you, you had that tide. Clear back by Subaru. Yeah. Um, Once you identified the, uh, the tanks, the T-90s yep. in the north, that's, that's yeah. what you triggered off. So we, um, you know, it's basically a battalion north, battalion south, the way our construct was, because we had another separate AO. So two battalions, and essentially you're looking for two mini Mibbins coming at you, essentially. We, just, we identified the fixing force coming north, and then we had a decision we decided to make early. The next uh, exploitation force coming in, if I counterattacked, that would draw him south, and then I could actually go Kofum's even on even, if he didn't take the bait and went north, he's opened up his underbelly, and I can be off to the races with four companies going to his rear area. So um, not really a gamble. It was a calculated risk in there going, hey, I can adjust the Kofums right now and make get in his decision cycle. We knew we were doing this uh, back and forth. Yeah, I mean, we thought about it. <laughs> I mean, back in uh, Colorado Springs. That being said, if he, if he didn't take the bait, he was putting himself at significant risk, and then he would have to make decisions mid-fight to get out of whack and put him off balance. So... Uh, as soon as we saw him come in and we saw where that exploitation force was, we made the call. Um, 112 kind of knew, but the, or 212 kind of knew they were going to get the counterattack. Not fully when they built this massive array of obstacles by Low Water 5. Uh, but we gave them the word early enough. I think the one thing that our major coach, man, which was really effective, was, hey, don't just say go and expect to go. Like, we've got to give them a time. Like, when you say go, there's an expectation you're not going to get through the obstacle this time. So they've got to put them in the right posture if they get the word right. to be able to go and then be patient with that. So we, we did do that, which I think was versus me saying attack and then you're like, and why aren't you attacking? Yeah, ah. yeah. um, so I think that actually helped us quite a bit. So he knew what kind of posture to be in so he'd be able to go on the counterattack. Um, and then we did expect getting gassed. We thought we'd get gassed to get fixed somewhere or disrupted. So we had them all in uh, mop one because uh, we did get gassed there because we got them off balance and once we got gas, we kind of knew it. Um, so really proud of that company. Mass, all they do is throw mass on and keep fighting yep. um, and going through the breach. What we they, did, yeah. yeah, they got suppression, they got obscuration, they reduced the obstacle, and they fought. They fought through non-persistent chem because they were in the right uniform doing the yep. thing. And that actually drew um, at least the platoon out of the yep. assault force uh, from from Geronimo, and yep. definitely got them. You know, again, you hit with MP Chem. It's a it's a sign of respect. <laughs> um, now, what we didn't anticipate fairly enough was the amount of uh, cratering oh. charges they had. We couldn't see on the far side because yeah. of weather with UAS. So we put engineering assets there. Didn't um, didn't anticipate that many. So it was a longer fight. Yeah. yeah. One crater, eight, if we'd have been one crater charge less, we probably would have been off and racing. But you, yeah. know, you, know, you don't know. <laughs> but it impacted their decision. It like, no, it did, so. for sure. And it was good. I mean, it's, you know, coming... Coming in with a mindset of we're going to seek opportunities to get back into the offense uh, whenever possible, you know, I think I think paid off, and I think it's you know it's the right headspace to be in. Uh, you know, some good conversations at the final AR yesterday. One of the NCOs brought up, you know, this uh, 
greater appreciation for using the defense to, to rebuild combat power. And, yep. and whether it's at the brigade level, whether it's at the company or battalion level, sometimes we're going to have to transition to a hasty defense to consolidate, reorganize, build combat power to get back into the offense, which I thought this team really – they got a lot of opportunity to do and did it well and got better at it as we went hey, on. Matt, one thing I'd say on the transition from offense to defense to build that combat power, because um, we talked it a lot in our ARS day, like we don't want to lose. Right? Yeah. And transitioning before you want to feels like losing. Um, so it's a tension. I think we as commanders coming through the CTCs will have until we get back comfortable with free-flowing uh, CTCs. We probably held on a little bit long in the attack, probably could have transitioned a little earlier, probably been in a better posture to counterattack. Um, but we needed so a more tenable position. Yeah. You, like you, we did, yeah. we were, we were not in a tenable position. position from which to um, defend. So there's it a tension there. Worse. Yeah. There's, the, there's the, a tension there with you're trying to get to the right terrain. Um, the good thing is we built in a couple options as we were building our defense, depending on if we were really good, medium, or really bad. So we kind of had built that out. Um, but you've got a there's a transition point where there's terrain, what your combat power is, enemy threat, and you've got to transition and make the call. We were probably a little bit late on it, yeah, because we'd have gotten better obstacles in, because uh, there was a point where we were actually doing pretty well, and I thought we'd get to the better position, and then we just didn't. So, um, you know, is anyone coming through? You've kind of got to manage that, I think, a little bit, and just, you know, don't get spun up with, hey, I don't want to lose. You may have to take a little bit of a, a step back to be able to get two forward on the next fight. Yeah, so. I mean, it's, you know, in some respects, you know, I was thinking about that last night because I thought the way that NCO framed it was, like, perfect. You know, some of this is, like, fighting. It's like, okay, you, it's okay to put up your arm and block, Yeah. right? You know, like, if the guy's not effective and he's throwing punches, well, he's going to wear himself out. And then when you throw, you know, your punch, you're going to hit and you're going to knock him out. And, um, and I, th I think that that played out and it was it was good to see. And I thought it was, you know, um, I think you're right. I mean, I do think there's this tension with um, this expectation that we're we're always going to have the upper hand. Yeah. Um, we're not, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and commanders that can evaluate risk and opportunity and anticipate it. Um, and, and really, in some respects, jujitsu, uh, yeah. the enemy. Which you know you got your punches in, and that's you know that's that's where we want to be. Um, hey, something else that came up in discussion, you know, throughout the after action reviews yesterday is this idea of like leader bandwidth in large scale combat operations. Absolutely. So, my thought as we go through this, you know, leaders at Echelon for the last I don't know fifteen years, especially we went to Mission Command as a, you know, one of our. Uh, war fighting functions instead of command and control. Which we're back like, to. We're back to command, command control, and control. But mission is command good. is a philosophy. Um, Jinx. You know, everyone just gets this ambiguous, like, no right, left limit to go execute stuff. In LISCO, I don't think that works as well. Um, each, each command level has an, a set amount of bandwidth, especially at the company level where they're in a fight every day. They don't have a staff. They're going to have to take a little bit of, um, you know, Calm down. I'm not going to get everything I want to be able to do to win. You're going to have to fall in line with the higher headquarters plan because they're already setting up enablers, fires, assets for you for the next fight. That if at the last second you change, you know, it's a chain reaction. Now we're having to shift fires and that chain reaction of not getting fires where you want it or getting the sustainment in place, you know, hits that. So any burdens we can take off the company. So they're kind of filling into a left and right limit and they've got 
they've got some wiggle room within that left and right limit of the exact how they're doing it. I think we're in a better place. So we're really focused on graphics, um, and you're, you're taking those battalion graphics. Every time a battalion or brigade issues graphics down and you just erase them all and redraw everything, you're causing a chain reaction of time suck all the way up to the brigade that gets pushed down. That's way end up, I think, behind the enemy a little bit. So um, a little bit of the, there's gotta be a little bit more control in LISCO because the time and bandwidth of leaders to redo and make perfect plans do not exist. It's more than that too, right? I'll, Sorry, it's going to sound like mushy, but there's an emotional bandwidth too. Yeah. When a battalion commander is given like the five best company commanders in the brigade, you know, that is, that span of control is different than the battalion commander who is given the five worst company commanders in the brigade. So I think a lot of times we don't enter into that human dimension when we're talking about bandwidth, span well, yeah. of control. I, I think, you know, the bell curve's always in effect. Right. You know, and so if you look at the way our army mans, like more often than not, you're going to have like a company commander that's been in the seat 12 to 18 months. You're going to have a company commander that's been in the seat six to 12 months. You're going to have a company commander that just got in the seat. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. There's just a learning curve, right? Company commander that's, mm -hmm. that's been doing this for 18 months, has a first sergeant that's been doing this for a year, knows a few more tricks, has some more experience, brand new company commander, maybe less so. And where, battalion commanders and battalion star majors spend their time coaching is is different based on that experience base. But it's also based on the, I mean, let's be honest, like we all have a max competence and some max yeah. competence is higher than others. Yeah. And sometimes that span of control is different no matter how experienced they are right. for some of those leaders. And I think a lot of times we will, we will, we'll leave that mean average, right? He should be able to control this. Yeah. And we will acknowledge in private that that person is below the mean average, but yet we'll still have the same expectations Expectation. of that person as we have their belt. Right. And that is, that is unfair, not just to the individual, but, but to the, the people yeah, formation. Well, again, you're like the emotional side, right? The, the mental tax of bandwidth, like is the enemy's trying to break your will? That has an emotional tax, right? So bandwidth, I think, is even affected by that. Uh, this concept that we can take a company commander from COIN and throw two sorties of casts on top of them, an attack weapons teams, the engineers, we just make him a super company where he's like really a battalion minus. He doesn't have the bandwidth at the pace of this fight to control all that. So things that we can control at higher and put in place control measures to get it to the right Sometimes place in time. Sometimes organic when 20s um, are too much. Yeah, like right. we've got it. We've, we can't just tell, you know what, I don't want to plan at this level, so I'm just going to throw all the assets to the lowest guy let him deal with it. He doesn't have, they don't have the bandwidth that company. To yeah, do I mean at the... At the brigade level, when I was at Brigade Chops, we generally fought one company at a time. Yeah. And if we weren't fighting one company at a time, we tried to, to adjust the fight to only be fighting one company at a time because we could fight one company, stack ISR over it, CAS, H64s, QRF on a string, and simplify the problem. Yeah. That is not LISCO. Yeah. LISCO is... Everybody gets to fight all the time. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and many of those resources are, are going to be fought the vision in the above. Heaven. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I think you're 100% right. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't think that's mushy. I mean, the emotional part of this, the scale at what we're talking about, the casualties that we're likely to encounter, um, make this really hard. Um, 
you know, the, the control required um, to do this effectively is just greater uh, based on the threat, uh, based on, on the threat and the complexity by having multiple units having to operate simultaneously to achieve a decisive point. Yeah, I would even add, I know one thing to help, you know, personal bandwidth and bandwidth at Echelon, really. So, like, we're talking the NCO core, like the importance of developing, like, and getting CSMs that know how to actually fight companies, battalions, integrate and brigade exponentially helps the bandwidth, right? So, um, like, at my level, putting him at friction points where he knows how a battalion fights and can interact with a battalion commander and give some guidance yeah. and go down to a company and go and help out in the fight. I don't have, I no longer now need to go to every battalion yeah. and do that because you've got a trusted agent to paint the it, picture. So you're staying ahead on the fight a little you bit. You know, and so the key with this, I mean, having watched this with the two of you, is you guys had deliberate conversations about what the friction was. Yeah. It wasn't like, hey, just go out there and like solve some friction for me. Deliberate dialogue about what the friction yep. was. And I think the second one, I don't, I'm, you're a humble guy, Sergeant Major. You know, when we talk with battalion commanders, they appreciated that. And yep. they talked about how, frankly, the buildup and training and how we operate at home station, you know, made them receptive to the feedback that you were given. And that, you know, I think on the officer side of this is one, it's got to be commanders drive this dialogue with command sergeant majors and at the battalion commander and company commander level being receptive to, you know, Maybe a guy that's done this a ton has has something to offer, and we got to be open to listening yep. to that, open to being coached and, and influenced um, by somebody that's you know, frankly, extending your influence as a yeah. commander. And it starts at home station too. So yeah. it's like one, your subordinate commanders need to know that like he speaks for you, absolutely yeah. right. Um, and you and that I've always and that he that uh, and then two I don't compromise the trust that he has between him and battalion commanders right right like they don't under, like <laughs> there's I some don't, conversations he doesn't come that, talk out of out of school right uh, and if what, I do it's because it's necessary because something's about to go absolutely wrong and I was unable to like they know it. they yeah, can open up with them and go okay I need to vent to like yeah. what is your recommendation without you going to the boss and yeah. so they they know they have trust in him at echelon um, if that's working at echelon really it lowers the bandwidth, like exponentially um, lowered the bandwidth that I had to put to each battalion. So it allowed me to stay actually connected to plans a little bit more and get ready for the next day and stay on battle rhythm yeah. uh, with the staff to be able to keep keep kind of moving forward. If I had to run and solve um, emergencies all day long, it would have would yeah. have been coming off the rails. Hey, let's uh, give me, you know, sort of in this vein to home station, give me, you know, as you come out of this, what, um, you know, and folks that maybe are at pre-command course right now or, or getting ready to come into the positions that y'all are in, you know, what advice would you give them about leader development uh, for company-grade officers for first sergeants? You know, at the brigade level, focus two levels down, leader development. What, where, would you, where would you focus or what advice would you give on focus and leader development? Sorry, mate, I'm going to start with you. And, that, and you can go... First sergeants and company commanders. So I have a first sergeant LPD program. I wish, like, and it, I had to tailor it because I had less time than I thought I did. So, you know, we do an LPD once a month with the whole entire um, formation of first sergeants sitting there in the room and everybody above them is not, it's not mandatory, but they're welcome. And more often than not, the CSMs and the ops sergeant majors come. 
Uh, and then once a week, we have breakfast or PT with one group of first sergeants. Yeah. So I hit that group over breakfast or PT once every two months. And the things I try and teach them are practical, not buzzwords, you know, time management. How do we properly manage our time to like, here is how we should look at time over the course of a year. Here's how we should look at time over the course of a month. Here's how we should divide and conquer over the course of a week. And this is how should we should organize our day. And then try and provide them practical tools, usually from my own experience that I use to give them as a starting point from which to figure out their whole lives. Like it's very rare that my, my LPDs are like, this is how you conduct battle drill one alpha, right? That's that, that I would be wasting my time if I did that because I have other forms for that. So, you know, how do we emotionally deal with the, the hardships of our jobs? How do we manage our time? How do we become more effective and affect levels below us in our formation? And I tell them like this LPD itself is an example. If I am sitting down and doing this proactively with you and being pretty ruthless with its application, you know, like lesson you, one you is probably should the be doing LPD this with staff program, sergeants. like let's do that. So yeah. you should be doing it with the platoon sergeants and staff sergeants. Yeah. Um, the thing, there was a third phase where I wanted to try and do individual counseling with each and every single one of them every six months. That became too much to handle. So it was kind of like, hey, this is the part where I'm trying to do my best. If you need help, you're going to have to proactively reach to me. If you have a friction point in your career or you're looking for something to get out of something, you're going to have to reach out to me. But then I, I will, like if this person's struggling, you know, not necessarily negative counseling, right? I don't. I'm not the raider, I'm not the yeah. senior raider, so it's like free chicken for me to bring them in and talk about them. But like the thing I want them to understand the most that I've tried to get this across, like you gotta love your formation and not in the figurative or the semi-literal sense, like in the absolute altruistic, um, literal sense of the term, you have to love your formation. Like when we I, talk I about- could, I could not agree more with you. I, I'm a big believer, like you can't fall in love with your formation but you gotta love your formation. Those are two different things. And this idea of like leadership is love and it's not mushy, I'm 100% mm -hmm. like, it's not, it's not mushy love. It's like, I care, yes. you, care enough to tell you that we're off. I care enough to tell you that you gotta be changing what you're doing if you wanna reach your potential. Like you speak in my language. I, I tell them it gets harder as you, because <laughs> like, it's like, I tell them this and I've told the number of people. It's like, I feel like I've shaved off a little piece of my soul and shared it with people across, yeah. you know, all of Fort Polk, Louisiana. And, you know, the more people you're in charge of, the more pieces of your soul you have to shave off. And so you're, you're giving away more. And at the same time, as I get older, it's, it's harder and harder. Like it takes longer and longer for it to grow back. So it's yeah. like, I, I don't think they realize that there's a humanistic aspect like to senior leadership that like they think it gets easier because you're separated from the problem more. But in fact, like there's softer. more people that need your help and therefore it becomes harder. All right, so I'm gonna tie this, like General Matlock, the G3 of the army was down here and, and did some leader development with uh, us you know, when he was down here. And he, he said, you know, he's like the realization that when, you know, the kind of the second half of your career is about giving back. Like that's what you're doing. The whole senior part of your career is giving back to other people. And it is, it's, it's, it, and how do you rejuvenate and replenish yourself to keep giving, right? Cause it's this well, um, no, I think that's hugely powerful.
Um, and it's hard, right? Especially when you're invested in other people. Um, you know, it's hard to see them struggle. It's hard to, to have uh, not it awesome. Hurts. It hurts. It hurts. Um, well, it's, um, yeah, I think that's powerful. And I, I do. I mean, I, I know your background coming from Ranger Regiment. You know, Sar the, the Sergeant Major Hall's The Fundamentals of Combat, How to Train For. I mean, mm -hmm. the thing that stuck with me is really this idea of the fundamental determinant of success or failure in combat is how soldiers feel about their peers and how they feel about their immediate leader. And if they trust and love them, we know there's nothing we can't do. There's nothing we can't accomplish. Um, but it's that's a big that's easier said than done. That's a big ask. Um, all right. Yeah. So I would say um, one, and we've got to do a better job at the brigade too. Um, so it's this team of team cops that you're part of a larger force, and you're you're not this lone entity that is the main effort all the time. Right. Everything comes there. So you know we used to be better at our queue at Carson's a little bit hard to do it, uh, where you would you know start a brigade staff battalion staff and. You know, you learn the larger formation, how things work together, then you go into company command. So we've got to focus on training. we got to assume, one, the Triple C does a good enough job. We'll refine that through our battle drills and training. But we've got to train those captains to be. Hold on a second. And if you're at Triple C or just graduated, it's an amazing course. And we actually want you to do the stuff they teach you there because it works. Yes. Sorry. Um, paid, paid endorsement. So the assumption is... <laughs> They can tactically execute as a company yes. commander, and we will refine it through experience. But we've got to make them battalion S3s and brigade S3s. You're screwing your buddy, man. Uh, so they understand how they fit into the piece. Yeah. They've got to have a great – if they know how a brigade yeah. plan is put together, a battalion plan is put together, they'll have better understanding how they fit. And honestly, that's where the mission command opens up because now I know where I fit in the puzzle and where I can see the risk and opportunities to take without screwing up the entire plan. Yeah. I can actually get some gains. But – you don't know where you fit. You have no idea what opportunities. Yeah, I mean, really it's this return to decisive point and nested purposes of understanding if I don't accomplish my mission has these effects to everybody else. Um, and somewhere along the way, like that's gotten a little hazy for us. Yep. Um, and it's again, you know, great. we got great human beings, great people. Uh, but it is. It's our job to help them understand how they fit into the bigger fight. I, uh, you know, I love, and I'll forget the unit. The you know, the article is uh, it's uh, Combined Arms Maneuver since 1939 is the is a collection that was published, and the, the chapter in there is called Miracle, and it's about a reconnaissance platoon in the Ardennes in 1944, and it's like 19 soldiers, and they get hey, you got to go out here, you got to defend, and they hold up. Uh, you know, a Panzer division for a day. And that has a decisive impact on everybody else behind them. And, and there's no way that they can know it's going to have that impact, uh, but they, they, they fight it out. They don't quit. Um, you know, they improve their position. They give it their all. And it has this outsized impact uh, to the outcome of that fight and to all these other units that give, buys time for people uh, mm -hmm. to get in the fight. And I think that we got to help frame that for folks that yeah. like, hey, you matter, right? You know, we had an example of uh, aviation unit, you know, they just didn't understand their higher purpose. They didn't fuel helicopters. And when it came time for them to be needed, they were 45 minutes late, you know? And it's again, not willful, not bad, but this is why we do this. Uh, everybody's part of this like really adds up and, and stacks and matters. And we all gotta, 
we all got to do our bit to make this happen. And I think we, um, you know, it's where, you know, because everything's an LPD to a degree. Right. right. <laughs> like the way we give orders and stuff, we kind of hand wave higher and second orders. Yeah. Mission and intent. Like here's here's what they're trying to accomplish. Here's where we fit in. There might be, you know, maybe we're framing hire's mission and risk and opportunities that I see happening within hire as we're briefing that both in orders and in our rocks. But we I, hand wave it. We yeah, just, well, I mean, and so you know, we we had that conversation. Twenty first Airborne came down and, and had that conversation because like I realized of four rotations, I wasn't framing this for the brigades well enough. I think you're hundred percent right. Uh, we got to have these conversations about, you know, two levels up, uh, how they understand the fight, how they understand subordinates unit fitting in that fight, where they see risk and opportunity. I completely agree with you. Well, it's like the reasons. What are they? Ignorance, incompetence, or selfishness, yeah. right? Yeah. Ignorance, leadership failure. Yeah. Like, yeah. Sorry, man. It's like, us. I let you know. Right? Yeah. Like incompetence, 100%. like training failure. Yeah. Um, or, you know, like that guy's at his mass bandwidth and he might need a new profession. Uh, but selfishness, like... That's the thing that has to start at square one where we have to indoctrinate them into like, this is the way you should be the world. Yeah, I mean, so this is uh, something I've been thinking about and, and you know, watching this rotation and, and, and really the growth, right? So, I mean, interesting thing, right? Like uh, the last mission that we did, Live Fire, really high fidelity, detailed, graphics and direct fire control measures at the company level. And all that's like really possible because of the level of detail that happens at the brigade yeah. in time to the battalion to enable that, allows the fire people to do the target refinement and the rehearsal. And like, lo and behold, like we have great live fire. It's like super efficient, it's effective. Um, but that only works like if we're all in from a followership perspective. Yeah. Right, and this idea of, of followers, followership, um, you know, it's I think something that we kind of got away from talking in the army, and I think in LISCO that's hugely important um, because you know if if you're setting uh, a timeline for uh, target refinement cutoff, people just got to do it. Yeah, <laughs> they just got to do it because if they don't, like. We won't get fire synchronized. Yeah, we've got to do it a culture where we don't meet timelines right. because we know our higher headquarters does not want to fail and they'll give in to us. And right. really what we've created is all of our peers or our, you know, our peer formations now fail because of it. So it's not really right. that you're letting your higher headquarters down, you're letting your, your, peers your, down. Peer, your peer organizations down because now we're all behind. Right. Um, and they know that a higher headquarters will not let them fail. I mean, the odds of I mean, even a company not turning a lock is that I'm not going to not feed them. So yeah. like someone is suffering because of that, because I can't let them fail. So we've, we, you're exactly right. We've got responsibilities to our, our peers, the leader to lead, and the lead having a responsibility, like our CG talks all the time, the, the, they have a responsibility Loyalty up. To your subordinates, yeah. your peers. Yeah. And this is this love part. I mean, a big part of this, like real grown up love is about accountability as well, yeah. right? Both ways. And, um, you know, and it's okay to fail. It is. It's okay. It's, in training, it's okay to fail, um, but we gotta we gotta learn from it, and we gotta be better the next time we do it. And we gotta, you know, and you're exactly right. Usually, it's it's ignorance, it's competence uh, that we can train, right? Um, and and really kind of whittling down on on the selfishness, which we're you know, human beings. We're all capable of being selfish in moments. We gotta help each other see that, and be more accountable to one another. Yep. Um, 
All right. Hey, this was phenomenal. You guys get uh, the, the <laughs> final closing word. Uh, what, final closing word. We'll let Sergeant Major close it out. Hey, so um, the rotation here, closest that I, I told Matt this earlier, but uh, closest thing I think to combat that I've experienced, you know, besides combat. Um, it was a phenomenal rotation, truly dealing with the hardship of combat and the, the will and the emotional side. Like this is as close as you're going to get. Uh, to really stressing all the systems and the emotional side of the house when they when they bring the fight to you, so really appreciate that. And that it, I think the the benefit of it is I truly believe in the brigade, the field grades, and company commanders. You know, three to seven years from now, as they come come back on the next jobs, exponentially better better because of rotation. So, like I said earlier, sir, it it was like outside of combat and probably losing somebody in combat. It was emotion, like the my lowest emotional moment in the entirety of my 24 year career happened um, here during this rotation, and I'm I'm glad it did. That's not something I look back and be like shame on you. No, like like you said earlier, that's also like the emotion that we're supposed to feel now, opposed to later on when it's real. Um, the leadership challenges, like. I, I liked seeing the relationships within the formation being tested because now I know back, go back and like, okay, these two, that's a true relationship that was tested and man, it did not fray. This is one that's semi-frayed and this is one that frayed entirely. So you know those are actually lit weak links in the chain that you need to go back and help heal, help make sure that they understand like, although this relationship might have totally frayed under this circumstance, under future circumstances, they will not have the ability to do that and they have to like look each other in the eye and fix it. And um, I am, I have never been this prouder of the brigade and that would not have occurred. I would not have been here. Absolutely. Well, I gotta tell you, um, for me, I said you're gonna get the last word, I'm gonna pick the last word. Uh, I'm proud to be a part of this profession with both of you, this spent uh, a, a really phenomenal experience. I've learned a ton from both of you. I've learned a ton from this formation, uh, and our Army's better for it, and I'm with you. I think generationally, you know, first sergeants that i got to watch do amazing things here are going to be back here as sergeant majors in a couple years, captains back here as field grades, field grades back here as battalion commanders, and, and ultimately, you know, uh, being open, honest, professional, and, and giving it all every day is how generationally make this thing better. So appreciate your leadership, uh, not just to your formation, but, but to the Army and the Ops Group. So thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank you for joining us on The Crucible, the JRTC experience. The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world-class opposing forces. We are America's leadership laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Mabes. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Cho. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https colon forward slash forward slash linktr dot ee forward slash jrtc
We'd like to thank our partners at the Center for Army Lessons Learned of the Combined Arms Center, especially the JRTC Call Observations Detachment. Be sure to follow them on social media as well. Follow them at https colon forward slash forward slash www.army.mil forward slash C-A-L-L. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts, and be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future. The Crucible, the JRTC experience, is a product of the Joint Readiness Training Center.